here today, excited about starting our new series, DIY Worship. DIY, of course, meaning do-it-yourself worship. Do you guys like to watch reality shows on television, DIY shows? I guess I'm the only one. Uh, yeah, when I get a chance to, I like to watch these shows. I actually, I find them really relaxing. Um, there's something about being able to sit in my comfy chair and uh, watch someone else running around panicking on TV and trying to create perfection in under 30 minutes that I, I quite enjoy, actually. They're all sweaty and, you know, beside themselves, and I'm just sipping my tea and wearing my judgy pants, and, oh, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe they blew that. I mean, how did they do that, you know? Um, so I like to do that. Um, right now, actually, I'm watching um, a show called Nailed It. Have you seen this one? Yeah, some of you have, yeah. Nailed It. Uh, and it's basically a show where they take three amateur bakers, and they show them, uh, at the beginning of the show, this incredible, like, cupcake or wedding cake or something that's just absolutely, like, amazing. And then they they tell them to go and try and recreate it. So then you watch the show of them, you know, all trying their best to create this beautiful masterpiece that a professional chef has, you know, put together. And uh, And then at the end, you get to see what they actually made. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun because they're, they're running around and, and uh, all scrambling and whatever. But uh, after watching the show, I, I have to be honest, I think I can do it better. <laughs> I really do. And this is saying a lot because this is someone who lit the stuffing on fire two years ago at Thanksgiving. So even though I don't have the greatest cooking skills and I'm not the best in the kitchen, I still think that compared to these people, I look like a genius. <laughs> but, you know, it's not just uh, shows that you can watch about bakers and, you know, cooking or whatever. There's also, like, you know, home renovations gone wrong kind of stuff. You know, I, I like those too because they, you know, save my renos or whatever. And they, they show, you know, the, that they tried to do this beautiful extension on their house and then they, they you know, messed it up. And then they, they call in the professional anyway and get them to do it. I think it's kind of fun to actually watch that. Um, there's also Pinterest ideas that haven't quite panned out. Pinterest and I, we have a long history and that we're not going to talk about here today. Um, in fact, there's so many blunders and mistakes that happen uh, when we're trying to uh, do things on our own that now they are creating shows that show us all of the mistakes. Like, uh, for example, Fail Army. You can look this up and you can watch uh, just people that have attempted to do something incredible or even just simple and then, like, incredibly blown it. And, you know, you can kind of sit back and laugh at them. But it makes me wonder, when I watch these shows, why would anyone, like, publicly humiliate themselves? Like, do this and then, like give it to the TV people to put on for everyone to see. You know, I, I just, I don't know. Why go on television to have such an epic fail? And I think it's because deep down inside of every one of us is uh, someone that just wants to, to do it and to do it right. 
You know, there's just this desire just to, to get it done and to, to do it right. You know, we, we long for that high five moment or, or someone's like, yeah, you know, I nailed it. You know, I, I did it, right? I, I, I got the pat on the back. I got the gold star from the teacher. I, I got someone saying, well done. You, you did a great job. Look at what you did. I, we, we long for that. There's an inner child inner child inside of us that wants to hear those words, well done, right? Wants to hear that you nailed it, you got it, you know, you did it right. And when I think about worship, I think that deep down inside of all of us, if we're honest, we would say this is how we even feel about our relationship with God. I've never met anybody that wants to make a fool of themselves in front of God. I've never been around anybody that is okay with failing epically in front of God. Nobody wants to create a mess and then hand it over to, you know, the creator of the universe, right? No, nobody's interested in just putting out something that's sloppy and, well, you know, there you go, I tried, you know, I hope you like it. You know, uh, we all want to get it right. We all just want to, to do it and do it well. We, we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Uh, those, those are the words we're longing to hear from God. And you know, uh, growing up in the church as a pastor's kid, I had that desire as well, but I struggled with worship because I wanted to do it well, but I, I never felt like I was actually doing it right. No, ma no matter what I did, it just didn't seem like I was getting it right. If I raised my hands in a service, it literally felt like there were people in the room who were like, taking notes and like documenting it and reporting it, you know, like filing it away to, to somehow use it against me. I either felt like they were tattling to my parents about what I did or that they were like, you know, using it to shame their child, you know, like Johnny, you know, uh, look at the pastor's kid. They're raising their hands. How come you never raise your hands? You, you know, you need to raise your hands. You know, I mean, poor Johnny. Uh, no wonder we were never friends. Johnny hated me, you know, <laughs> because his parents always used what I did as a weapon to punish him, you know. Um, Johnny is not a real person. Just want to let you know. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, if I didn't raise my hands, though, in a worship service, I, I could feel the icy cold stare of my father, you know, from the pulpit, just like, seeping into my soul, you know, like reaching down from here to like make me lift my hands, you know, and so I was like, okay, I'll raise my hands, you know. <laughs> I, I still didn't quite feel like comfortable and like I was doing it well, but I, deep down I did want to get it right. I, I think we all want that, and so if we want to get it right, then we need to ask ourselves some questions. There's some questions that we need to ask to find out. Um, like, what does it look like to worship God? And what is God looking for from me? How does he like to be approached? 
what is his idea of good worship? If I don't know what God is looking for, and I can't see what he wants, then how will I know if my worship is actually what he wants? How do I do it right? How do I nail it? How do I worship God well? This is the question that I think every person asks themselves deep down on the inside. I want to do it, but how do I do it well? Well, fortunately, uh, the Bible shows us how to do it well. So if you have your Bible here, would you just turn in uh, the book of Luke to chapter 7? There's a story here uh, that I'm going to share with you that describes in detail how God likes to be worshipped. And, you know, the, at first glance, when you look at the story, you're going to look at it and say, well, no, it doesn't. She's crazy. Uh, that's not at all what it says. Because it's a, a story that takes place when Jesus gets invited over to a dinner party. And so uh, he enters a house, and it's full of people. And uh, he's uh, enjoying a meal with them. And he's reclining at the dinner table, which is what they did in that, in that day. They would sit around on comfortable cushions or pillows or whatever, and they would recline. They would kind of lean back, and they would leisurely enjoy a meal uh, together. And uh, he's doing this, and uh, a woman enters the room. And uh, we'll start the story in verse 36, and this is what happened. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Everybody say, a sinner. Let's say it like really snarky. A sinner. She's a sinner. You don't actually need to do that. I just want to have some fun. All right. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Well, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. He said it just like that too. That's right. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Now, I would kneel this morning before you, but actually I'm afraid I can't stand up if I do because I've wrecked this knee. But anyway, um, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears 
and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now in this story, we see two uh, examples of extremely different people. And we see how they approached and interacted with Jesus. This is a story that compares or contrasts a Pharisee with a sinful woman. Now, on the one hand, the Pharisee we have, uh, a Pharisee is a highly educated, trained person, usually a man. Yeah, it was a man. A religious leader is really what it was. Pharisees were religious leaders of the day would have been extremely highly trained, extremely educated. This is someone who is well-versed in Jewish laws, customs, traditions, knows the Bible inside and out, specializes in keeping all of the religious rules and laws. This was a prominent leader with perfect form. This is someone who has all the knowledge of what to do, but yet he lacked the heart, the right heart attitude to do it. Then we have a sinful woman, and uh, the passage doesn't specify exactly the nature of her sins, but it does suggest that everyone in the room knew about her sin, which kind of leads people to conclude that everyone in the town knew who she was, and so the conclusion is she was the town prostitute. She is definitely uneducated, uh, untrained, uh, definitely doesn't keep the Jewish laws, doesn't keep customs or traditions. She is unfamiliar with the Bible, and she specializes in doing uh, nothing religious or nothing um, that would involve keeping those religious laws. She is far from perfect, as we have heard. And she lacks the knowledge of how to act, even in that environment. Uh, yet, she has the right heart attitude to approach the Savior. How do we know this? Because Jesus likes what she did. And he shows us that her behavior and her actions were pleasing to him. What she did was extremely important in that room, so much so that over 2,000 years later, we're still talking about what that woman did. People are still talking about what that one woman did that one time at that party, 2,000 years later. So what he's telling us is this is how I like to be approached. This is how I like to be worshipped. So there are some lessons that we can learn 
from this sinful woman. Uh, I'm going to just condense them down to five, but I actually have 15 lessons. But I've kind of boiled it down to five of them that I'm going to share this morning. Number one, she was humble. She was humble. Worship God with humility. She knelt at his feet behind him, weeping. Kneeling is the position of a very humble person. It is the position of humility. You see, this woman knew exactly who she was. She knew she was a sinner. She knew all the things that she was doing that weren't right. No one needed to point their finger at her and, you know, tell everyone what kind of a person she was. Nobody needed to display her sins out there. She knew exactly who she was. But when she considered how great he was compared to how great her mistakes were, she didn't dare to assume or presume that she could approach him with any kind of arrogance. She didn't come before him flippantly or casually or, you know, um, with any kind of an attitude of entitlement. Kneeling at his feet was the only position that she felt worthy enough to take before him. And she was actually behind him, behind his feet. She didn't even, she didn't even feel worthy enough to face him one-on-one. -on -one. Number two, she was emotional and expressive. Emotional and expressive. Worship with all of your heart, mind, and spirit. She washed his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair, and kissed them repeatedly. Now, she was very uninhibited. She was very free. She didn't hold anything back. She just let it all out. You know, back in those days, everybody walked everywhere. And they weren't walking on paved roads. They were walking on dirt roads. And animals were roaming around freely, you know. There was no bylaws that you had to pick up after an animal. There was nothing like that that was in place. People would toss their garbage outside onto the street. It was dirty. And they weren't walking around wearing snowshoes or boots, you know. They, they were walking around with sandals on. So, I mean, just think for a minute of the condition of their feet. Their feet were dirty, filthy dirty. And this woman, uh, not only was she willing to touch his feet, she was willing to use her hair to clean them. A woman's hair, you, you, you don't, if you have hair, you'll know this. <laughs> if you don't, we don't judge you. Um, you don't want it to be dirty. You don't want anything touching it that's dirty or sticky. You know, you, you want to keep it clean and nice. And, you know, she was using her hair. She was awfully close to his feet if she was bowed down enough where her hair was wiping them. Do you understand the position that she took before him? She wasn't concerned about the dirt or the mess. She didn't care what it looked like to anyone else in the room. She wasn't ashamed and she wasn't embarrassed 
to show her affection. She was so overwhelmed with emotion just to be able to come close to Jesus that she couldn't help but demonstrate her love and gratitude for him. And if you love someone, like as a mom, if you love your kid and your kid fell and they're bleeding and there's dirt, you pick them up and you, you know, you wipe it away and you hug them. You don't care if they're dirty and they're messy. You're just overwhelmed with affection for them. You, you want to embrace them. It doesn't matter that they're dirty. Number three, she was extravagant extravagant. Worship should cost you something. It should cost you something. She broke the alabaster jar of costly perfume and poured it all out over his feet. Now, they say that the jar of perfume that she had would have been worth a year's salary. It cost a full year's wages for this one vial or jar of perfume, uh, but she didn't care about how much it costs. And in order to open the alabaster jar, she would have had to completely smash it. Like an al alabaster, like when I read up on it, it was like a, a wood. And so it, she would have had to splinter it to get it op to open, you know? When you smash something like that and you splinter it, there's no like saving any on the side. You know what I mean? Like you bust that thing open, you're not recovering it. It's all going to be poured out. It's all going to be used. You can't save any or hold any back and, you know, sell it later on and make some money on the side. You can't do any of that. You have to let it all out. But she didn't worry about holding on to any of it. She didn't want to save it for later. You know, uh, when I was flying out some years ago, you know the duty-free store in the airport? Uh, well, I was sort of looking through it this one time because it's like not a place I frequent. But anyway, uh, and I wanted to get some maple syrup, and some pure maple syrup. So I was looking through the store and I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool just to, you know, pick up some real authentic pure maple syrup? And so I was looking and... Um, you know, I found, I found the section, but it was expensive, like really expensive. So all I could actually manage to, you know, shell out was for like a little tiny bottle like that big. And, and because it cost so much and it was so little, I never wanted to use it, right? I never wanted to use it. You know, like what a waste, right? I mean, I bought this silly little bottle of maple syrup and I, I wouldn't even open it because it was precious, you know, it costs a lot of money, you know? And so, like, so much for my pancakes, you know? You're not going to use any of that. So, but she didn't care how much it costs. She gave it all because she knew that he was worthy of every last drop of it. Number four, uh, she attracted attention. Worshippers get noticed. They get noticed, and it's not a, hey, everyone, you know, look at me, because I'm so cool, and I'm so smart, and look at my skinny jeans, and, you know, my new haircut, you know, aren't I amazing? Everyone look at me, I'm the coolest worshiper here, you know. It's not that kind of an attention that she got. Uh, the, the attention that she got was because she was fully invested in what she was doing. They were having dinner and while they were having dinner, this one woman came in 
and did this. She was crying. She was weeping. She was rubbing his feet with her hair. She smashed open that jar. She poured it out. This was something that could not be ignored. It could not be ignored. And she wasn't doing it looking around, hoping that someone was noticing that she was doing this. You know, oh, this is the expensive jar of perfume. You know, I hope everyone sees I'm pouring this one out. You know, uh, she wasn't doing it for anyone else in the room. But she was willing to do it to fully demonstrate worship, regardless of anybody else in the room. They couldn't help but notice her, but they were attracted to her sacrifice of worship. You know, if you crack open a very fragrant oil, it's so potent and so powerful, the smell permeates. And it would permeate the whole room and it would spill out into the streets. So people walking by would have smelled the fragrance of that oil that was poured out. It would have been intoxicating to walk by or be in that room, it would be really hard not to notice that this was happening in front of you, okay? She knew that she was being judged. She knew that she was despised. She knew that everyone else was so indignant with her and that people were like, how dare she come in here? How dare she do that? How dare she approach the Savior? How dare she touch him? How dare she, you know, cry and do all that? Look at what, you know... But she didn't care. It didn't matter that she was a hot mess. She was willing to sacrifice appearances. She was willing to be judged and criticized in order to let Jesus know how she felt about him. She was the least educated. She was the least trained. She was the least perfect in that room. And yet... She was the first one to demonstrate true worship. Oh, by the way, just in case you were wondering, and I've looked this up, so this is true. Um, nowhere in the Bible is there such thing as the ministry of surveillance. Nowhere. You can't find it anywhere. At no time does God appoint or instruct anyone to sit on the sidelines and judge what's happening in the room. Nowhere ever. We are all called, we are all called to participate, not to be spectators. Just in case you were wondering, that's just a side. That one was for free. Number five, she worshiped in spite of where she was at in life and what she was feeling. Worship out of obedience. Obedience, not feelings, not emotions. Worship out of obedience. She, she didn't wait until her life was perfect and things were all pulled together before she worshiped. How many times have we made excuses like that before God? God, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come back to you when I've, you know, fixed everything. I'll come back to you when I've just, I got clean this mess up here. This is kind of messy. I don't want you to see this. I'll just, I'll just clean up my life. And, and when it's all perfect, then I'll come back to you and then I'll worship you. You know, when I've taken care of all this junk, 
You know, then I'll come back and I'll worship you because you don't want to see this. You know, notice how the Bible records that she worshiped him first in her sinfulness. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. She didn't make excuses for why she couldn't worship God in that moment. You know why? Because she wasn't caught up thinking about herself in that moment. She wasn't thinking about her mistakes and her failures. It's not like she didn't know who she was, but she wasn't dwelling on it. She was too busy thinking about him and his greatness. I just wonder if for a moment here, we could just take a moment and if you could just humor me and and imagine with me, just close your eyes and imagine what would happen if everyone here in this room decided to worship God the way this woman did? What would it look like if we humbled ourselves before the King of Kings? If we let down our reserved Canadian, you know, guard and we unashamedly demonstrated our love and gratitude for our Savior, how would it affect our lives? How would our children be impacted by our lavish, extravagant praise? How would it change the way they viewed God if they watched us refusing to hold anything back from Him? How would it change the way they approach God? What could we teach and pass on to the next generation about true worship? If we are fully invested in worshiping him, regardless of what others around us might think, what do you think God's response to our sacrifice of praise would be? What do you think he would do in our city? What do you think he would do in your neighborhood? What do you think he would do in your family and in your own life? I wonder, I I think about these things, I, I wonder what great miracles he would perform. I wonder what deep healing he would provide. How about what cleansing forgiveness he would offer? How about what abundant provision he would pour out? How about what great debt he would cancel? If we decided here and now in this moment to worship him in spite of our failures, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our mess, in spite of our feelings, will you just stand with me for a moment here? Because today we have an opportunity as a church family to worship the King of Kings. And right now, everyone in this room is at different ages and stages in their walk with God. But you know, it doesn't matter because we just learned that God doesn't care about your education and He doesn't care about your training 
He doesn't care about your perfection and your image and your performance. That's not what pleases God. And your mistakes and your failures and your mess, it doesn't disqualify you from being able to worship God. Because of His grace, regardless of where you're at, you can choose today to worship Him. You can choose to worship Him the way He said He likes to be worshiped. The way He likes it. Because it's not about you, it's not about me. It's about Him. It's about what He likes. And so, as the worship team leads us in these next few songs, I invite you to step out of your comfort zone and your reserve guard and worship the King of Kings along with me. Amen?